Father, once again, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There are a lot of things that I hope to know when we come to the place when Jesus ushers in his kingdom in all of his fullness. I would love to know how exactly God parts the Red Sea. I've always wondered how Jesus broke the bread and the fish to feed thousands of people. What did that look like? How did that happen? I'd love to understand more of the timing of why the incarnation of Jesus happened at that moment and that, that was the right moment. I'd like to, to know about some of the things in Scripture that seem to be contradictory and, and why they're not. I suspect you have your list as well of things that, that you would really like to know and on that day hope to understand. And I am certain that there are, that we are going to understand and know far more than we do now. There are going to be things that we're going to understand then that we simply can't understand now. But there's something in the back of my mind that wonders, will we know everything? You know, I've often thought and said, and you may have said this too, that when we get to heaven... We're going to know everything. And I've been asking myself this question, actually for a, a few years, will we really know everything? And I'm beginning to think maybe we won't. Now, and I think there's something about this, this story in Genesis 2 and 3 that gives us a hint of some of that. John Walton says that the, crea the, the whole idea of creation... Much of what's happening there is about God creating a world that functions correctly. So that when God gets to the end of the sixth day, there isn't anything more to be created. Because he says to the man and the woman, go be fruitful, multiply, tend the earth, care for it, let things, more things happen. But the point of coming to the sixth, sixth, end of the sixth day and resting is that God has created a world in which everything is functioning exactly as it's supposed to. And the world is operating in a way that everything works right. All of the world is, is, is functioning like a well-oiled machine exactly as it's supposed to. Everything exactly in its place, everything doing what it's supposed to do, and all of that is going to lead to flourishing and multiplying just as God intends. And I, when I read these stories in the beginning of Genesis, and I think about the stories at the end of Revelation, I see a correlation, a connection. That God creates a world in which there is, everything is operating perfectly, exactly as he wants it to. And when we read the stories of, particularly the last couple of chapters of Revelation, we see once again that the world is operating exactly as God desires it to. And maybe that, that, uh, that world to come is, is a, an enhancement of the original world that God created, but there is definitely a connection between them. And you see it in a variety of ways as the descriptions are given to us. 
that the world God always intended ultimately is recreated and restored and renewed after human beings have corrupted it. And I see this connection between them. And so there is something in my mind that when we look at Genesis 1 and 2 and we see what God always intended, it is, while the, the situations may be different and what we see in the, in the world to come may be more glorious, there are some, there's a, there's a principle, there's a mindset, there's a way of, of thinking and operating that I think carries through. And one of the things that intrigues me about the Genesis story is that there is this tree in the middle of the garden that seems to symbolize the fact that the human beings don't know everything. There is still some, there's still knowledge beyond them. Now, God doesn't, if God, if God does indeed, when we get to that day when Jesus ushers in the kingdom, and, and God withholds, just as with Adam and Eve, it's not because God is afraid that we're going to find out things about him that he doesn't want us to know. It's not as if God is like Oz behind the curtain, not wanting anyone to see. God has no secrets from his creatures. It's more, I think, a case at one level of it's simply beyond us. There are things about God that are beyond us. And I'm convinced that's an eternal thing, not just a temporal thing. It's not unlike, you know, how we, when our children or our grandchildren or the next door neighbor kid comes over and asks us a question, and we think to ourselves, now how exactly do I answer that? I could give them the full-blown ex- uh, understanding, ex- explanation of it, and I've tried to do that with our grandchildren sometimes. They just sort of stare at me with your eyes glassing over like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I just wanted some simple answer. And there's something about that, I think, in our understanding of things and God's understanding of things. In her book, book, The Hiding Place, Corrie Ten Boom, who spent years in a Nazi concentration camp, she tells about when she was a little girl, she and her father used to go on train rides together, and she would often use the trip home to ask him hard questions she was wrestling with. And so one trip, as they were coming home, she decided she wanted to ask her father a question. She had been in school. They had read a book of poetry, and part of the poem that they read had some nuances about sex in it. And this is turn of the 20th century Holland. And she said she was too embarrassed to ask the teacher what things meant that she didn't understand. And when she asked her mother about it, she said, my mother just blushed scarlet and said, we don't talk about those things in our house. She said, my father was always willing to give me answers to questions. So on this trip home, she was probably 10 or 12 years old, came home and I asked my father, told him a story and asked him about it. What does that mean? She said, he sat and looked at me for a long time. And then he stood up and he picked up the big case, the, the, his big watch case, off of the rack above their heads and he sat it on the floor. And he said, Corey, I want you to pick up that case and carry it into the station when we get there. So she reached down and tried picking it up and she couldn't it was full of watches and all these new parts that her father had bought on their trip she could not move it and she said I can't I can't carry it it's too heavy 
And he said, Corey, some knowledge is simply too heavy for us. Especially as children, there are some things that are just beyond us and, and we, we aren't ready to understand them. We can't understand them. They're beyond us. And so you're going to have to trust me about it. And she said, I, I was satisfied by that. He said, actually, a great peace came over me that, there, that I didn't have to understand everything. I could trust my father with them. And the reality of our lives, I think then, but certainly now, is that God is other than us. And God will, is eternally other than us. And one of the things we know is that how we think about that day has a direct bearing on how we live this day. And I think one of, the, one of the ways in which we will live in eternity with our Heavenly Father is simply trusting His wisdom. If that's the case then, wouldn't it be the case now? There are things in our lives and in this world that, quite frankly, I don't understand, you don't understand. And I want God to explain them to me. And sometimes we get answers, and sometimes we don't. And whether we do or we don't, God is calling us to trust him. And to believe that if we don't, if he doesn't give us answers, it's, it can be okay. And we trust him in that. You see, one of the problems that, we are with, that we're wrestling with here is not any different than what the, the serpent says to Eve and, and Adam. He says to them that if you, when you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. And you'll know between good and evil. You'll have, and it says, and, and Eve looked at the tree and saw that it was good for wisdom. And that's, that's one of the things that the evil one keeps saying to us. If you just had more knowledge, if you just had more experiences, you can be like God. There is something in us that wants to be like God. Not in the way of we, that God transforms us into the image of Christ, but in the way in which we know all things God knows. We have all the power of God. We, we basically usurp God as king of all. There's something about that grasping for autonomy and freedom and independence and power that every one of us wrestles with. And the evil one keeps feeding that. He keeps telling us, you can be like God. And yes, we are a priesthood of believers, but there's only one king. And he is the only God, the only king. He is other than us. And do we live in that truth? You see, when we, when we, I'm convinced that when, we, when Jesus comes and ushers in the kingdom and we live in the world in which God, the new heaven and the new earth, and it's exactly as God wants it to be, he will be king. When you read the book of Revelation, you don't get any sense from the pictures and the images that John gives us that people live in that new heaven, new earth as equal with God. What you do see is people 
continually bowing down in worship before God, who is the king of all. And you see the problem, too, with that, with that lie that we can be like God is that underneath that is the great lie that God doesn't want to give good things to us. Oh, he may give us a few good things, but he's withholding from us the really great things. I mean, isn't that really at the heart of what the serpent is saying to, to Eve? If God really was good, why would he withhold good things from you? You deserve it. You ought to have it. And of course, let's be honest, that feeds into the struggle that we have in, within ourselves that we think we should have more. I remember watching a sitcom a number of years ago where these two brothers who were kind of elitist heard about a new spa in town. And so they went to it. It's the spa that all the right people go to. It's if you're anybody who's anybody goes to the spa, and they consider themselves the anybody who's anybody. And so they went to the spa, and they, they went in, and it was one of the most glorious experiences of their life. For an hour, they were pampered and treated in this glorious way. And they were talking with each other about nothing could ever beat this. This is amazing. And then they they realized that there was a door that a few people were going through. And they said, so what's that door for? And they said, oh, that's for people who have a gold membership. And they looked at each other and went, what, a gold membership? There's a gold membership? We want the gold membership. And so they got the gold membership, and they walked through the door, and they found that that experience made the other pale in comparison. And they're thinking to themselves, what were we thinking about that being so great? That was nothing. This is it. We've arrived. This is the experience we've been waiting for. And it was so glorious, and it was awesome, and they couldn't think of anything better. And then as they were getting ready to leave, they saw another door. And they said, well, what's that door for? They said, that's the people who have the platinum membership. I mean, this is the way it is with us, right? And there's something in the back of our minds that says, if God withholds something from me, then it must be because he doesn't want me to experience the good things that I think I should get to experience. That looks like a great pleasure for me. Why can't I have it? That's going to bring me all the wisdom I could ever imagine. Why can't I have it? God must not be as good as he says he is. And the evil one keeps feeding that in us. He keeps telling us that's true, he's not. If God were good, he'd let you do anything. In fact, the evil one, I think, sometimes says to us, you deserve to be able to experience everything at least once. I mean, what kind of a God would withhold from you the experience of anything you want to experience if it's good for you? But that's the thing. God says, trust me, some things are not good for you. They're not healthy. And Adam and Eve discover when they distrust God, not the joy of discovery, but they discover the pain of guilt and shame and loss and separation. 
and regret. See, the irony is God wants, loves us to discover new things. I mean, one of the, I'm, I'm, I think one of the, the great joys of eternal life of, with God in the new heaven and new earth, and one of the reasons why I, 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 want, I think that we may not know everything is because there is so much joy in new discoveries. Right? I mean, one of the great moments of life is when the, bolt, the light goes on for us and we think, oh, I never saw that before. That's awesome. I never realized that. What a great new thing to learn. What a great new thing to discover. And I think God will give, us to give those things to us over and over and over again. This joy of discovering more and more of who he is and more of, of, the, of the greatness of his creation and his kingdom. And that will go on infinitely because God is infinite. And our problem is we want to keep grasping for things ahead of when God wants to give them to us and reveal them to us. Can we trust him? And when we come to face to face with the temptations of life and the, and the evil one's message is not all that unique, he keeps telling us, you deserve that. You should have that. That'll be awesome for you to experience that. And in that moment, to remember that God is the one who gives every good and perfect gift in his time, when it's best for us, and what's best for us. Can we trust him? Can we believe that? Do we believe that God really is good? That he is love? Because as much knowledge as we get, whether that knowledge is about God or his creation or ourselves or anything else, and the knowledge we can glean is important. God's given us the gift of minds to learn, and we ought to do everything possible to continue to develop our minds and to learn and understand who God is and understand who we are and understand creation, understand the world. It is one of the great gifts of God to learn and to experience things. And we should embrace that with every part of our being. God is not pleased when we are lazy with the gifts he's given us. We ought to engage in learning in every way possible. But we do so understanding that discipleship is ultimately not about knowledge, it's about relationship. And that everything we learn and know about God is intended to lead us to relationship with God. That's the ultimate end of being his creatures to know him and to be known by him. That's what it's all leading to. God creates for relationship. God creates for us to know his grace and his love. You know, this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter about love, and at the end of that, Paul says, for now we see only reflection as in a mirror, then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And we read that and we think, well, that must mean that when that day comes, we're going to know everything. 
But in the context, Paul's not writing in the context of this about all knowledge. He's writing about love. And it makes me wonder if what Paul isn't saying here is that I I now know only partly the depths of God's love for me. But the day is coming when I'm going to meet Jesus face to face. And in that moment, I will know, like I've never known before, God's love and God's passion for me and God's desire for intimate relationship with me. And that day, what I can only know partially now, I will know fully. Because ultimately, eternal life is about relationship with our Creator through Jesus. That's where all of this is headed. That's what God is giving to us. And that relationship is rooted in our ability, our willingness, our yearning, our desire to surrender all that we are to Him. Think about good relationships. Good relationships are founded not on one-sided love, but on loving each other and giving ourselves to each other. I mean, if you want to have a good relationship, you have to give yourself to that person even as they give, that, give themselves to you. And that's at the heart of our relationship with God is dependence on Him. Living in, in surrender to Him. Living in recognizing our need for Him. God created a world in which human beings had a, a need for dependence. Even before the fall. Think about how God created the trees and what he says to them is you can eat of every tree in the garden except for the one. And you can eat of all those trees and they will be nourishment for you. And what that means is every day, multiple times every day, human beings are going to come back to those trees and eat the fruit of those trees. And that's how they live. That's how they're nourished. That's how they grow. That's how they have life. And if they decide not to eat from the trees they will die. There is a built-in dependence that God creates in the world. And I think that's symbolic of our dependence upon God. I mean, actually, they're not so much dependent on creation as they are on the creator, the one who sustains their nourishment and their ability to get fruit from those trees. And God has created a world dependence And the most holy people in this world are not those who come to the place of saying, I've gotten so much like God that I don't need him anymore. The most holy people are those who recognize more than anyone else how dependent they are on God. And they embrace that dependence and live in that dependence and celebrate that dependence It's not because God, God doesn't want dependence because so he can control us. He wants us to be dependent on him because he is the only source of flourishing and of love and of life. You think about a a tree, say an apple tree, and you go out and you cut off a big branch of the apple tree and it falls to the ground 
And if the apple tree says to you, look, that's no problem because I can continue to bear apples and I'll produce beautiful leaves and I'll produce grapefruit. I don't need that trunk. I don't need the root system. I'm fine just as I am. We would say, I'm sorry, that's not the way it works. Once you've been cut off from the trunk and the root system, you will stop bearing fruit. You will stop living. And this is what God is saying to us. There is a dependency on him who knows more than we know, who is infinite, who is other than us. And he's given us great blessings. And he's done phenomenal things in our lives and our world. And the promises that lie before us are more phenomenal than we could ever dream or imagine. But the essence of, of life with God eternally is we need you. And the life that says, God, I'm just fine, I don't need you, it does not describe eternal life with God. It does not describe heaven. It describes hell. And I suspect that every one of us has things in our lives, things that, that we are tempted continually to pull away from God to say, I, I, I can go my own way. I can do my own thing. I can figure this out myself. God, I've, I've arrived. And all the while, God is saying, but the moment you pull away from me, you're pulling away from the very need that you have for survival and life and grace. But we're continually struggling. I, I, I think I've, mentioned this to you a couple of years ago but it came back to me again this week so I was thinking about all of this a couple of years ago we were on vacation the family down in North Carolina visiting my family and we went to church with my parents and, and they, uh, they, have a, they go to a, a beautiful church it's a kind of a small building you know maybe has about uh, eight or ten row, rows in the middle and a few on the side and it, it's, a, it's a pretty small acoustic, uh, acoustically live building and so we were sitting there in church, and they had a children's sermon. And they invited the children who were there to come up and to sit like this on the little on the ledge in front of the altar rail while the pastor gave a children's sermon. And our granddaughter, Emma, was about four at that time, leaned over to me and said, Grandpa, go with me. I said, okay. So I, I walk up there at the front of this little church, and there are three children, a couple of children and Emma and me, sitting up there in front of everybody, you know. I'm trying to look small as I'm sitting there. And the pastor starts into the children's sermon, and we're sitting there, and I'm listening. And all of a sudden, Emma leans over to me and says, Grandpa, I don't need you anymore. And I'm like, what? I didn't, my hearing's not so good. I couldn't quite hear her. I leaned over and said, what'd you say? She said a lot louder, Grandpa, I can't. I don't need you anymore. So I kind of slink over to the piano bench and sit down and wait for her to finish. And, you know, everybody's kind of giggling. And so I... She gets done and walk back. I sit down next to Andrew. I said, Andrew, did you hear what Emma said? He goes, everybody heard what Emma said. <laughs> and I thought a lot about that. Because, you know, the, the problem, one of the problems with our human condition is to say, God, I'm good. I don't need you anymore. And I can't imagine anything less like heaven, less like the kingdom in the new heaven and the new earth than that mindset. 
And if that's what the world, if the world then is going to be God, everything is about you. My life is about you. Everything that I am is about you. Then wouldn't it make sense that we would want to do everything we could to live that way now? And experience the joy and the life and the flourishing with him now. And whatever it is that you might be wrestling with today, whatever, whatever the, the, the struggle of saying, God, I want to go my own way, or God, I really want to experience that, even though I know your spirit's saying, leave it alone. Whatever it is that God may be saying to me, to us, look, I know it's hard to understand, but trust me. Can we do it? Will we? Will, do we believe that the great God of all the universe is not just powerful, but he's good? He's always looking out for our best interests, and we can trust him. Father, in this moment, hear our prayers. Our prayers of faith, trust, Dependence. Father, give us the assurance of your spirit with us. And give us the grace that we need to follow you, to trust you, that we might know you. Amen.